Hello and welcome to the Blair Upper Cervical Podcast, a show where we interview top Blair Upper Cervical chiropractors to glean their insights, tips, and passion. In each episode, your hosts, Dr. Kevin Pekka and Dr. John Stenberg, bring something unique and inspiring to help you grow and succeed. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Blair Technique Podcast. I've got another bonus episode here. I'm really excited about this particular conversation uh, because Dr. Bill Davis from Upper Cervical Marketing is uh, someone who's uh, you know hugely influential in the upper cervical community, and in my opinion, you know one of the most inspirational upper cervical doctors. Um, just for his story and his you know pivoting in practice when he sustained an injury and wasn't able to be hands-on with patients anymore, and has found. A lot of really cool ways to provide value to upper cervical doctors and students uh, through upper cervical marketing and all their different initiatives. So if you guys don't know Dr. Davis's story, you need to check out the podcast he did with uh, Dr. Kevin Pekka on the Expect Miracles podcast. You, you dove into that story quite a bit more than uh, you know some of the you know snippets we've heard on the upper cervical marketing podcast. So I'm going to include that link in the show notes here so you guys can refer back to that and hear hear that conversation because it'll fill in the gaps on uh, Dr. Bill's heart and where he's coming from with the work they're doing. I think, you know, when you guys hear that, you're going to appreciate what he brings to the conversation today. Um, So Dr. Bill Davis is, uh, you know, the CEO of Upper Cervical Marketing, and you guys have branched from, you know, kind of just a digital marketing company. You guys have a whole I guess, if you, for lack of a better word, suite of practice success resources available to upper cervical chiropractors. And what I really appreciate about that is, you know, there's a lot of these resources out there, but upper cervical practice is different. Yes. You guys have drilled down big time on, you know, what those pain points and differences are for our docs. And so really excited to, you know, share with, uh, with our Blair family, some of the things that you learned, some of the different key takeaways that you've learned in dealing with high-performing upper cervical docs and, and talk about, you know, something we got going right now, which is your practice mass, your practice success survey. So all that to say, thank you, Dr. Davis, for taking the time out uh, to share with us. If you'd like to kind of introduce yourself and the work your, your team is doing with upper cervical marketing, uh, we can start there and then we'll, we'll just talk about practice success. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, as you mentioned, I was in practice myself, um, and had a spinal cord injury and had to you know do a pivot in my life and and I really feel like you know God moved me in a direction of doing uh, this type of work and continuing to use a lot of the you know skills gifts abilities that I had to now primarily serve upper cervical doctors and uh, be able to partner with them and work together to bring hope and healing to sick and suffering people. And that's really what we're all about. And so we do that through our upper cervical marketing programs. Uh, we have tons of, you know, tons of uh, free resources as well. I mean, if you, if you started, if you got on our website, uppercervicalmarketing.com and just, you know, listen to podcasts and read our blogs, you'd probably take a, a year and not get through everything that's on there. I mean, there's a ton, a ton of free stuff. And so if you're a new doc or you're a, a student, it's a great place to start. I mean, start with podcast episode one. I think we have 130 something podcasts on there. And so, and it's just packed full of, of information with, you know, highly successful upper cervical doctors. And, and the thing that I've learned over the years is, 
success leaves clues. Hmm. If you want to be successful in anything, listen to people who are doing it. And that's what the, you know, that's how I really started the podcast. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to start talking to docs who are having great practices. I mean, I had a great practice before I got injured and, and I learned things in order to get there. And I realized that if I, if I, you know, talked with other docs who were also successful, I guarantee I'm going to start picking up patterns and Mm. start to, to learn things that were consistent with those practices, regardless of upper cervical technique, regardless of how long they've been in practice, regardless of, you know, where they're located in the the country or the world, uh, male, female. I mean, it, it really, there's consistent principles and, Mm -hmm. and, and processes that I've seen over and over and over. And that's, that's what I eventually, I, I put into a book and that's, uh, upper cervical practice mastery published that few years ago. And it was really just, you know, just, uh, my, my thoughts on, okay, this is what I've seen is consistently, you know, uh, just solid business principles overall. But like you said, specifically what you need to do in an upper cervical practice to be successful, not based on my theories or philosophy or anything like that, but based on actual real world experience of the top performing upper cervical doctors in the world. And that was, you know, taken from our podcasts and, and from uh, my personal connection and, and working with, with many of these doctors as clients as well. And so that's kind of, you know, some of the, some of the things that we have and what we're doing with, uh, you know, for upper cervical practices. And now also now that we have the book and over the years, more clients and more docs and whatnot have reached out to us and just asked for more. Um, we are doing some, you know, some, some basic coaching and consulting to, to help newer docs or, I mean, even docs that have been in for a while that, that want to, to go to a different level, take the principles of upper cervical practice mastery and apply them specifically to their practice. We're doing some of that as well. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, taking and synthesizing and curating all that information and distilling it down the way that you guys have is that's a, that's a big task. I know the book is not, it's not volumes, right? You guys have very efficiently packaged that and it goes through, if folks haven't read the book, get the book and check it out. I think it's on Amazon and on your website, yeah. certainly. Um, everything from mindset, routines, habits, understanding yourself and your personality type and those types of things to systems, marketing, uh, basic financial principles, team dynamics and planning. I mean, there's there's so much in there. It's, it's a really condensed, you know, heavy hitting uh, resource. So I, I'd encourage folks to get access to that if you haven't. And um, like you said, if you're, if you're in practice, you're going to pick stuff up, you know, because certainly if you're in Blair practice, things might run a little differently in a nuke office or an orthospinology office. Sure. Um, there, there's things you can learn from everyone. And those, those principles that you said, you know, you kind of notice in that pattern recognition you develop with, you know, talk with these high level docs, it's the same kind of stuff we talk to our patients about, right? It's like, we want to understand the, the key principles so we can build the details around that to get the result that we want. And you guys have done, you know, the heavy lifting on that for us. So appreciate that work and encourage folks to check it out. Yeah, and absolutely. It's, it's funny you mentioned the, the you know, the, the book is rather succinct and that that's on purpose. I, I, I can't stand long books. 
Like I, I'm, 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 I listen to books. I read books constantly. It's, it's something that I've done for probably 20 years. I've read, you know, business books and mindset philosophy, but I mean, all these kinds of books and, um, you know, probably 80% of the books I read, I feel like are too long, right? Yeah. They just, they have a lot of fluff. They got a lot of, you know, there's a lot of buildup to before they actually get to the nuts and bolts of what they're trying to teach you. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I really just wanted to trim ours down so that it just had what you actually need. So how long did it take you to put that together? And that's definitely not an easy project. Well, I mean, it took years because, you know, I had to, I was with all the podcasts and just, you know, putting different aspects of together. And then, yeah, the actual writing of it probably took, I don't know, maybe eight or nine months. Yeah. Yeah. Nicely done. Well, speaking of, I mean, while we're on the topic, you know, practice mastery is kind of a big term, right? And practice yeah. success is so, you know, so variable. I mean, we folks define success in different ways, right? And so sure. you can't necessarily have one avenue for, you know, measuring your success. Um, so what's some of those principles and what's some of those observations and patterns you've recognized, you know, what are maybe some of the key areas of practice success that you see as those clues uh, that are left by successful docs? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of things and it's really, um, um, our survey actually has been really helpful to, to distill some of this down. We've been doing this upper cervical practice survey, um, you know, every year, this is our seventh year doing it. And it's, it's interesting because we get, you know, the same information back every year and it's, it's, we're getting different. I mean, we have different people taking it every year and um, but we get a lot of the same information because what, what we've seen within upper cervical practice is that there definitely is, you know, an 80, 20 principle, mm-hmm. right. People have heard about 80, 20 principle and all sorts of other things. Right. But in the upper cervical practice, we see that as well. And so, and like you said, you know, the definition of success is, is, is different for everybody and not every practice needs to be um, the same in order for it to be successful. But, you know, one of the ways that we can measure success is how many people we're helping, sure. right? How, how are we doing helping others? Because, you know, been, you've been given a gift as an upper cervical practitioner and you want to share that gift with your community. I mean, that's why you're, you know, one of the main reasons you should be in practice, right? And so a way to measure, you know, how effectively you're sharing your gift with others and helping others is, you know, can come down to, well, how much are people paying you for the benefit of your, of your practice? And, and that's what we look at when we look at collections, right? And collections is a, you know, it's a, it's a number that shows a lot of things, um, but it's definitely a, a way that you can begin to break down practices into different levels and kind of where they are and the kind of impact they're making and so forth. And so if we look at that 80-20 principle with upper cervical practices, we're going to see that about 80% of all practices are collecting less than uh, $50,000 per month, right? 80%. And of that 80%, you're looking at about 10% of those practices are collecting less than $10,000 a month, mm. right? Some of those are very small practices uh, that just started or, you know, brand new, but there's, you know, some of those have been in practice for 
you know, a decade or more, and they're still at that level. Um, you know, then you're going to get another chunk of, of practices in that 10000 to $30,000 a month. And that's, that's kind of the, the biggest group, about probably about, uh, about uh, uh, 50% of all practices are in that level. And the average practice is right around twenty to 25000 a month, right? Huh. Um, and then you look at the next group, and that's that thirty to fifty thousand, and that's about twenty percent of practices. And then you see a different level, and that's the practice that's fifty thousand dollars a month or more, and that's twenty percent, and that's a huge uh, disparity, right? Because you get you got some practices that are at fifty fifty five thousand, you got others that are at one hundred and fifty thousand or two hundred thousand. Right. Right. But it's a 20%, 20% of all the practices are at that level above 50,000 is what we've found huh. from our surveys. Yeah. It's interesting. I think, you know, collecting that data, you know, otherwise you don't know, right. You, you don't yeah. know how to measure up. You don't know how to contextualize where you are, where you should be other than your mentors and the folks that you're in close contact with, but, but having that kind of broad spectrum of overview of a niche a niche market in the profession, you know, not for cervical docs, there's not 20,000 of us out there. Right. Um, and plus we're data people, we're nerdy people, we sure. collect stats, you know, we have all our stats, you can get those stats and feed them back to us. And it's all the kind of stuff we like, you know, as far as the real world, you know, data to support where we at and what we're doing. And I'm kind of an, interested in, you know, the concept of kind of lower or raising the floor rather than the ceiling, right? It's like, yeah, you can go to, who knows how high, but if we can get everybody to, to level up and come higher than that, you know, baseline level of productivity for lack of a better word. Um, you know, we have more success across the board. It's, it's more fulfilled and successful doctors in practice having a bigger impact in their communities. I mean, we know that that affects the earning potential of our patients, you know, when their yep. health is, sure. uh, you know, when their health is expressed and, you know, there's a huge ripple effects with that kind of thing. So I know some folks get a little uncomfortable about that, but it is just like you said, it's just one metric, right? It's yeah. one observation that you can use to measure the effectiveness or the efficiency or the productivity of, you know, of our type of practice. So, okay. So, you know, at that level, we've got the 80, 20, uh, what are yeah. some of the other, you know, what are some of the key takeaways or principles? Well, I mean, a lot of it comes down to looking at that top 20% is what I've found. And the reason why I say that is because if you, if you can focus on the people who are doing it and doing it extremely well, it, it will help you to raise the floor, like you said, right? Yeah. Because if you start doing the things that the top doctors are doing in your practice, then inevitably you're going to start to improve in practice, right? You're going to start to move closer to where they are. Right. And, you, and what I, you know, something I've been looking for over the last seven years is to see that average increase, but it really hasn't. Right. Really? We still see it. It's like every year it's around the same thing, 20 to $25,000 a month. And that was when I was in practice, that was the same thing. Wow. I remember hearing doc, docs always talk about that, you know, oh yeah, the average practice is around $25,000 a month. So we're not even keeping up with inflation, you know, no, the way that our, no, it's like, it's always staying there. Right. So hmm. And so, you know, and sometimes it's because of just complacency, right? Docs kind of get, get used to the same thing. And, you know, and the other thing is when you get at that level, when you're at $20,000, $25,000 a month, sometimes you're like, oh, this is good. You know, I'm, I'm taking care of my bills. I'm kind of, you know, I'm helping people in my community. Um, you know, 
I, I don't really want to push for more, right? Sometimes they get, you kind of get into that, that mindset and, and really it's, it's unfortunate because you could make it be making such a bigger impact in your community and not just your community, but in all communities. If we're, if we're, if we're all thinking, okay, I, I want to grow my practice, right? I want to go to the next level and those kinds of things. And so, yeah. So when we look at that top 20%, we're going to learn, learn a lot of things about best practices and whether you're at, you know, you're just starting in practice or you've been in for 20 years, you, it's good to know best practices. We know that for our technique, right? You need yep. to know what's your best practices. What's the best way to do these things? What's the best way to, you know, take an x-ray? What's the best way to analyze that x-ray? What's the best way to adjust and all that kind of thing. And so same thing when it comes to practice. And when we look at the top practices, one of the things that we see over and over is that they uh, have a commitment to a variety of things, right? Mm. They've committed to things such as building systems, right? They're not focused on just themselves as what drives the practice. Yeah. When you're at, you know, 15, 20, $25,000 a month, it's your practice is completely and totally about you, right? If you, and I, and I experienced this, right. When I got, when I got injured, um, my practice went from, you know, I, I mean, I lost 80% of my practice in three months, right? Because I wasn't in the practice. It was, I was the engine that drove the practice, right? And so docs, top docs, they have made a commitment to building systems, not having a personality driven practice, right? And so what that means is they have the ability to bring in other doctors. They have the ability to have their practice run well whether they're in the practice or not with, they can actually take vacations. They can actually do things that they want to do outside of the practice and they have more freedom in practice, which is something we all want. Yeah. I was going to ask you, you know, as a follow-up, you know, thinking what percentage of those top 20% practices are solo docs, if any of them. Very few, very few. Yeah. Yeah. The average, the average doc is in that, that level has somewhere between one and three associates, right? Yeah. So basically as you get, as you get up, you know, if you're at that, that first level, kind of that 50, 60, you usually have one associate is the typical place. And then you start getting up higher, you're up around 80 or something, you're gonna, you're gonna have two associates, you're around 90, 100, you're usually gonna have three, right? And that's kind of what we've seen. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there are, those unicorns out there who, you know, they're, they're in solo practice and they have, you know, but they've built incredible systems so that their whole, their whole, uh, uh, staff and, and just the way their practice is set up and their, you know, it flows incredibly. Right. And I mean, it's, but, but that is the rare, rare, rare exception. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, uh, that, that, that's interesting. I know, you know, I, I'm reading right now, actually, the ebook, the e-myth for physicians. Yeah. Uh, if folks haven't read that, it's it's specifically kind of written geared toward medical practices. But a lot of these, you know, a lot of these concepts about building an asset rather than a job, you know, basically a lot of us are, you know, if you build a small practice, you're kind of like making a job for yourself, get the work, do the work, get the work, right. do the work. Yep. And you kind of get stuck in that cycle. And it's not really entrepreneurial. Um, in the, in the true sense of the word. And, uh, 
you know, I remember being a student and coming out of school and you just get so screwed up in your thinking when you're a student, you got all this, <laughs> you know, negativity that you kind of, you know, internalize for whatever reason. Um, and I have no problem sharing my own, you know, my own issues with that. But I, I know that uh, one thing I used to think as a student was, well, all these people, you know, that are seeing all these patients and they're greedy. It's all about the money. There's no way they're doing good quality work, mm, you know, yeah. spending two minutes with a patient and that kind of thing. Right. And reading this book, the EMA, this is something I've really just recently wrapped my head around. The people who can honestly say it's not about the money are the ones that can do what you're saying, which is step away from the practice, continue to make money and have it serve patients. Right. Yeah. It's, it's more about the money. If you have to go in there and force, you know, force the issue and be the only one who can do any type of, you know, any type of revenue generating service in your practice. And yeah. so it's such a backwards and actually ironic way of looking at it that it, you know, I think it for myself and probably some others that are listening, it can, it holds you back with planning and your vision and, you know, the way that you set out to start and grow your practice. And there's a lot of that, you know, sort of stinking thinking that I'm sure it doesn't happen in that top 20%, you know, yeah. that stuff is way, way behind them. Yeah. And that's, and that's right. And then, you know, there are other commitments too, along with systems that are crucial. And it's something that we, that, um, have been very, very consistent in that top 20% that they make this commitment and they stick to it. Um, and I don't see it as frequently in, in the bottom 80% of practices and, you know, two other ones that I think are really important to, for anybody out there to listen to is they have a commitment to training of their staff and their associates. Mm. And then the second one is that they have an, a commitment to education for themselves, right? So they, these people in that top 20%, they tend to be lifelong learners. They tend to be people who are constantly trying to improve, learn things about you know, themselves, their practice, how to do things better. They're constantly looking for ways to do that. They, you know, they think about practice like a game, right? And you have to figure out how to play the game better. And if the better you can, you know, well, how can I say this better to a patient so they understand it? How can we more effectively streamline this process so it doesn't take as long, right? Always thinking about those kinds of things is part of, of what they're about. And then training their staff and their associates consistently, right? The, the, the best practices will have typically weekly trainings, right? Where they're working with staff. They're working on, you know, how, how do we talk to new patients on the phone? How do we, you know, do a consultation? What do we do in this situation? What do we do when this objection comes up? What do we do when this concern happens, right? Role-playing, training, working with staff constantly, consistently. And so some docs will do that for a while, but they won't stick with it. But top practices understand that this is what is is most important, right? Yeah. It is consistently investing in system building, training, education for themselves. It's, 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 it seems simple, but it makes all the difference. Well, I think it has a lot to do with your, your mentality approaching that, right? If you're thinking, okay, I need to do this to get to a certain level, you've got a timestamp on it, right? And you're kind of like, we're going to, we're going to use this, you know, training, implementation strategy to get us to a certain level, whereas the, the opposite mindset would be, this is just part of what we do. This is yes. as, as big of a part of a culture of our practice as patient care as everything else. It's just something that we are always working on. 
And it's funny yep. because we, we have this philosophy that health comes from the inside out. You know, <laughs> we, we preach this to our patients and we talk to them about that. And then when we have problems with practice, we're always looking for something outside, you know, that's holding us back. It's causing our problems. Right. And I think it's, yeah. it's uh, not always easy to turn that philosophy inward and say, Hey, where are we falling short? Where have we, you know, kind of lost our, our true North with this stuff. And yep. that, you know, that education and training aspect is, you know, what I hear when you're talking about that is building the practice inside, you know, focusing on your, your team and your best assets, which is, you know, your personnel, the ones that are actually impacting the lives of the patients, build them up, create the, you know, create the capacity to handle and do more. And then there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it makes a huge difference. And, you know, because you spend a lot of time with these people, right? I mean, you want to invest in your team. And a team that's invested in will serve the, the the patients better, period, right? And that's just how it is. I mean, and that goes, you know, that goes to how you pay them, that it goes to how you bonus them, how you, you know, keep them in connected to the practice. Um, but it also goes to how you train them and how, you know, how you, what you make important in the practice, right? Mm-hmm. If you make it important that we train every week, right? Because it's important to me how you answer the phone. Yeah. If you're the doctor, that should be important to you, right? Because you have no idea how much money you're losing every month, how many patients you're losing every month because of the way you answer your, your, uh, your CA answers the phone, right? How they talk to people on the phone. So, I mean, those are, those are some of the things that I've seen over and over and over. Those three commitments are huge system building, training and education for you personally. Um, But I mean, there's other things too with top, top 20% practices, a a big one. And I know I'm probably going to step on some toes here, but care plans, care plans is something that um, top 20% of practices. uh, I think based on our our most recent survey data, 92, 93% use care plans. Right. And so and the ones that don't use care plans typically have been in practice for 35 plus years mm. and have such a huge uh, practice, yeah. referral practice in place that it doesn't, they, you, you couldn't even apply what they're doing to what you're doing if you're just starting out or if you're earlier on in practice, right? Mm. That's interesting. So, so, but doctors that are, you know, really have, uh, a solid practice, solid systems. One of the systems should be that you tell patients what you expect uh, for their care to look like, right? And that's all a care plan is. It's it's a laying out of your plan for their care, and you know having that consistent plan in place, and actually charging patients for the services you provide. Which I know is <laughs> it seems like a, a silly thing. It's like yeah. I, you should charge people for what you do for them. And it's like, what, what do you mean? Yeah. That that's actually what you should do, right? Like if you take an x-ray, charge them to take the x-ray yeah, right? Yeah. and charge them a reasonable fee, right? Cause that's another thing what we see with, with the bottom 80% versus the top 20%, almost across the board docs are not charging enough for their services, hmm. right? And the average, average office visit, Bottom 80% practice, $50. Average office visit, top 20% of practices, $75. Hmm. Yeah, right? it's, yeah, it's a significant percentage. That's huge. Yeah. Huge difference, right? And so 
if you have, you know, you're not charging enough or you're not using care plans. So people are coming in maybe for a few visits and you don't see them again. You constantly have to refill that practice with new patients. It's going to be more difficult to build the practice. Um, and it's also going to be more difficult to help people and get them consistently well and, and consistently help them to maintain their results for long periods of time. Right. Right. And that's the, that's the thing about upper cervical care that is so, you know, excellent about what we do is that they're built into it is long-term results. You know, yeah. that's, that's the main and, and primary objective. And we have a very efficient way to get those results. And in the grand scheme of healthcare costs, it's insane how affordable our Absolutely. care is for the benefits that you can derive. And most patients derive it's, you know, we're, extremely well positioned, you know, to help more people at a very reasonable rate, you know, in light of just what it costs to get any other procedure. I mean, how many patients go and get, you know, some type of advanced imaging procedure done? Uh, it costs them a couple thousand bucks. Nobody ever calls them to read their report to them. It's not right. even any treatment. It's just diagnostic. Right. And it's, yep. you know, and it's more money spent with no, with no progress. And here we are with a simple solution that, you know, works really beautifully. And, you know, gets phen phenomenal results with few adjustments over a reasonable amount of time. And, you know, it's, it's the best thing, uh, best thing going in healthcare in my mind. And, you know, that, that, that point about being um, undervalued, I think, you know, goes back to some of the other stuff we're talking about with team and your own personal mindset. It's like, yes, you've got to have built up that value for yourself and your team and what you're doing so that when you present those care recommendations to the patient, you do it with confidence and certainty and it's truthful and it's within integrity and it's in their best interest. Absolutely. And it's in, in your hundred percent, right. It starts with you being confident that the service you're providing is worth that. Right. And it, I mean, $75 of this, even that is cheap. That's, I mean, that's cheap. If you think about all the other things people pay for. Right. Um, but but yeah, I mean, having it in your own mind, yes, this is worth this. This is worth more than this, but I'm going to offer it at this price. This is, you know, that is a, a absolutely crucial thing, right? Yeah. I've been telling patients this lately. I don't even know where I came up with it, but it's like, if you can name one other thing you can do 12 times a year that will have a phenomenal long-term benefit for your health, mm. you name it. Yeah. Tell me what it is. Can you eat 12 salads? Can you do 12 workouts? Can you have right. 12 good conversations with your spouse and maintain the health of those? No, it's insane. You know, we can do that. We can provide that value. And at 20, you know, 12 visits a year, you've got 75 bucks a visit. It's like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, yeah. it's, it's uh, all day long, a no brainer in our, in our minds, Absolutely. but to your point, this is a lot of these concepts are contrary to what folks hear, you know, when they're out there seeing the advertisements and the commercials and all these different, you know, concepts related to healthcare. So, you know, it's on us again, to your point about education and training to make sure that we're not taking for granted those moments that folks are in the office to help educate them on our paradigm of health and what we're really trying to accomplish. Cause it's a different message. It's not something they're just going to hear out, you know, on a radio broadcast or on a commercial, but on a football game. Yeah. And it's, and also it's, as you said, you know, sometimes you can just get all messed up in school too. Like your, your thoughts and your thinking and just get all messed up. And you're not really, you're coming out of school with not, you know, not the right sort of concepts or mindset when it comes to practice, to be able to really be successful because 
you know, you're, you're, you've minimized what you can do for someone yeah. until, you know, you get to the point where you've seen people have miraculous results in your office and you've, you know, you've, you've, you've touched somebody and you've seen, you know, 20 years of migraines go away or, you know, vertigo that was keeping them out of their, their workplace and, and, you know, go away. And, and you, you did that, right. And you were able to do that for them and able to help them in that way. And then you start to realize, wow, this is really valuable. I, you know, I should be charging more for this. And, but, you know, I mean, it's, but even that it's, I mean, there's so many things, unfortunately, that we can get messed up on. I mean, it's not just the care plan thing. There's also sometimes there's, there's stigmas around marketing, right? Like somehow, if you market, if you need to market for your practice, that you're not as good a doctor, hmm. which is insane to me, right? And you'll, you'll hear doctors say that kind of thing. And not just doctors, you'll, you'll hear this on, uh, you know, with other businesses too. If you've ever watched the show Shark Tank, you'll, you'll see yeah. people on there and they'll be like, oh yeah, we, you know, we did all this without any marketing. I'm always thinking, wow, that's terrible. <laughs> what, 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 what do you, you know, you have no, no ability to reproduce the results. It's like you, you just, it's, it's almost like you just accidentally got, were successful in that circumstance. Right. Yeah. So, but, but the top 20% of practices, and this isn't just because I'm upper cervical marketing, this is, you know, this is because we've seen this over and over and over the top 20% of doctors commitment to marketing hundred percent, mm. right. Commitment to external and internal marketing. Right. And what are they doing? What type of marketing they're doing? We've seen internally, they focus on patient, patient education and internal events, right? Whether it be different kind of, you know, fun events, whether it's a food drive or a patient appreciation days or, you know, whatever the, the, you know, keep the practice fun, keep the practice lively, keep the energy up in the practice staff like it, you, you know, it's fun for you. It's fun for the patients, those types of events. And then just can, like you were saying, patient education, consistently telling the story, telling them what, what it's about, where health comes from, what it's, you know, why they're there and, and how the impact is it's making on their body. And then external marketing is really about outreach. It's about reaching out to the community and getting them to come and see you. And, and because no matter how effective of a referral practice you have, and everybody wants to generate referrals, it's never going to be enough to consistently grow your practice. And again, if we see it with, um, you know, looking at our survey data, the only doctors who, who will say things like, oh, I don't do any external marketing. Again, they're, they're doctors that have been practiced for 35 plus years. This is consistent with our data, 35 plus years. And they have, it's a very unique practice. First of all, there's so few doctors that make it to 35 years in practice. That's, in, you know, that in and of itself is right. crazy. Right. And practice that long. Right. But when you're, when you're 35 years into practice, your patient base, you know, the people that you've actually worked with over the years is huge. It's thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Right. Yeah. And so they have a, a drawn to their practice, a referral in the practice, uh, referrals and uh, just a, a goodwill in the, in the community and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's unique. Right. But all the, the other docs that we've seen, that are in that top 20% are doing usually two, two things are the, are the most common digital marketing, right? Internet-based marketing and professional referrals. Mm. Those two are the ones that they've committed to and they see the most consistent results with, and they can get 
um, they can get uh, uh, results they can count on with that, right? Good digital marketing program in the right market will produce consistent new patients over and over and over. Professional referrals too, you continue to grow that network of, of other health practitioners within your community who you have connection with that you refer to them, they refer to you. That can be, again, a very successful and consistent way to generate new patients. And so those two is what we see over and over and over. Bottom 80% may or may not do any external marketing. Sometimes they have uh, you know, bad concepts when, when it comes to this, that somehow, like I said, oh, well, if I have to go out and, and advertise what I do, then I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> just, it's, just, it's just backwards. I mean, even BJ said, right? Yeah. Early to bed, early to rise, work like hell and advertise. Can you right? imagine BJ Palmer with the internet? Oh, he would kill, he would killed it. I mean, with, with his printing press and his radio stations and you know, all the stuff that at the time, any media that was available, he was, he was all over it. Um, It's just, you know, kind of funny to think about, you know, think about what that would look like, you know, at the BJ Palmer scale of doing anything. Oh yeah. But you're right. And and one thing I heard you repeat over and over is consistency, you know, with Mm -hmm. a lot of these things, it's like, if you do the right things a little bit, you'll get a result. If you do the right things consistently over a long period of time, you're going to get a much better result. Right. And that's, um, and that's the key in extracting these, you know, these habits and rituals and, you know, principles from the top, top performers. It's like, you might not aspire to being in a practice with five other docs doing 150,000 with this big team and all that kind of stuff. But at whatever level you're at, there is a more efficient, more productive, better way to do what you're doing. Absolutely. Those principles do scale. Um, and you know, obviously if you're at that top tier, you know, that it's, it's possible to go to a very high level employing those, those systems and practices and principles over time. And really it's, uh, you know, wherever you're at, you should be applying these principles because you don't know where you're going. You don't, you you don't know how things are going to change as you go. Right. Right. When you first start out, you might have this one picture or vision of what your practice is going to be. Well, I guarantee in five years, that's going to be different. That's going to yeah. look different. Your, your goals may change. Maybe you, maybe you, des- you, you thought that you wanted a, a certain kind of practice that was maybe this big, huge practice. And then you gotten, you know, further down and you're like, well, no, actually I want this. Right. Or it's the opposite. Right. Yeah. And so, but if you put, like I was saying, you, you put solid systems play in, in place, you, you consistently train with your staff, you keep yourself educated and learning and continuing to improve what you're doing. And you, you know, start to apply these things I'm talking about, care plans, uh, marketing, charging an adequate amount for your services. You, you do these things, you're going to have a better practice period, right? Wherever you are. Yeah, it's funny because I was just uh, talking with my coach about something similar last, you know, last week about different ideas and things that I, you know, sometimes I want this, other times I want that. And, and he said, you know, you can't change your mind if you never make it up in the first place. <laughs> right. So sometimes what you need to do is make up your mind about a certain direction and work diligently in that direction so that you have some momentum that you can shift with. Yeah. You know, I've been guilty of this and, you know, thankfully he's pointing that out. It's like, sometimes you can just sit there in one spot thinking and mulling and do and produce no additional results because there's no forward momentum. Um, and so part of that is, is just heading in a direction of anything and, be, and building the momentum behind your vision and your ideas and allowing that adaptation to take place over time. 
Because again, yep. we do this with patients, right? We start taking care of them. We monitor their progress over time. We adapt to how they're doing and make sure that we continue to work toward the outcomes that we want with them. Um, and so, you know, we can, you can apply that same concept to uh, the development of your practice too. Yeah. And like you said, you know, it's really, it, it's the difference between consistency and complacency, right? If you're sitting in a place of complacency, I guarantee things aren't going too well, right? You can't, you, like you said, you can't steer a parked car. You can't, if you're sitting there just waiting for something to happen, or if you're in that place of, you know, analysis paralysis, right? Yeah. You're, you're never going to move, right? So getting into that, getting out of complacency and starting to get consistent in things. I mean, I talk about that in the book. I mean, even just your habits, your daily habits, your routines of what you do each day, like you can get into those good routines and you can start seeing some really good results with, you know, with your day, with your patients and how you do things. And it's, it's, it's amazing because at some point you'll stop doing those things. Hmm. And then it's like, why did I stop doing that thing? Right. Why did I stop doing the thing that made me successful in the first place? <laughs> and so, but it happens all the time. Sure. Right? It happens all the time. And that's what you see with doctors that are in that bottom 80% is they'll do things for a while and then they'll stop doing them. Hmm. Right. And then in six months later, and they're like, why, why is my practice struggling? Oh, well, six months ago I was doing this and then I stopped and now I'm here. Right. Yeah. But even yeah. that is, is, is sometimes difficult to even identify. Well, perfect segue. What I was going to say is I'd imagine, you know, we can have a conversation about coaching and, and what those folks at the top do, but everybody thinks they're doing the right thing, right? Nobody's going along saying willingly, I, I know this is a horribly inefficient way to practice. It doesn't right. make sense. And my mindset's screwed up and I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah. Right? You always think you're doing the right things. Um, yep. So that objective third party view, you know, a coach, a consultant, a mentor, you know, someone who can take a look from the outside in objectively and identify, you know, some of those uh, vulnerabilities or areas for improvement is can be massively, you know, helpful. And I'm sure at that top 20%, you know, is that something that you have found that folks constantly engage in? 100%. Absolutely. I don't think I've ever seen a top doc that isn't working with a coach. Um, I, uh, I've been a huge proponent of coaching ever since I've been in business, I think I've always had a coach. I've you know worked with a variety of different coaches in my chiropractic practice. And now my digital marketing agency, I've always worked with coaches. It's just, like you said, it's, it's fantastic to help you with accountability. It's a, um, it's a great way to get new ideas. It's a great way to learn things that people that like, like I said, said earlier that are, have already done it, who can share with you, you know, things that need to be done and uh, we'll hold you to it. And so, yeah, absolutely. Coaching is, is, is huge. And here's another thing with that, Dr. Bell, that you might agree with, you know, sometimes making these changes are things that you might be uncomfortable with or fearful about. Right. So yeah. here's another person who might give you the permission to raise your fees and give you the encouragement to you know, to implement care plans when you haven't done it before, or to be sort of that, that push or that person to say that, Hey, it's okay. Not only is it okay, it's you're worth it. What yes. you're doing is of that value. And sometimes that, uh, you know, can be a, a hugely, uh, hugely beneficial, just even for your confidence to have someone else, you know, see the value in what you're doing because yeah. we get so fixated. And so, 
myopic, you know, with our day to day and uh, the the things that we're doing. Sometimes you lose sight of the big picture with, you know, just the power of what what it is that we're dealing with here. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing too. Sometimes it's it's just like somebody come along and saying, you know what, you can do this. Like you can have this practice, you can do this thing. It's it's like you know that's the thing too. You know about studying the top twenty percent of upper cervical practices is it's not like the the people the doctors who are there are are all these charismatic incredibly you know it's 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 not this this personality type yeah, it's yeah. Not, it's, that's not who it is you get all kinds of different types of personalities that are in that top twenty percent of practices interesting right and so it's you can certainly do it and um I you know yeah and it's it, and it is important to have that encouragement and be able to to, to listen to that. And, you know, another thing that I'm, I'm, I wanted to mention about those top practices is a majority of them are cash, right? Mm. All cash practices. You're looking at if we're, yeah, I think based on our survey data, it's somewhere around 90% are either all cash or, you know, high majority cash, 75% plus cash. Yeah. Um, um, that's a great point. I'm glad you made that point because I've heard whispers before in conversations that, wow, that's a, you know, that's a bunch of insurance money. That's easier. Yeah. It's nope. like, when is insurance easier for one? <laughs> no, uh, and, yeah. And number it's, two, it's it's not yeah. always that way. But yeah, but that's another thing that sometimes uh, will be a great reason to to work with a coach. I mean, we have a we have a client right now who is he's transitioning into a cash practice, and we we're coaching him through that, helping him to to put the things in place in order to, uh, to have a cash practice. Cause there are, there are uh, certain things that you need to make sure that you, you know, kind of get your ducks in the row when it comes to that. But, uh, sure. but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely something that we've seen over and over is those top docs are, do have cash practices. It's not a majority of insurance practices. And, and that's sometimes something that somebody has to be able to tell you that you can do. Right. I mean, I know, um, you know, sometimes, especially if you've been doing insurance for a long time, it can be difficult to shift in your mind first and then shift your practice second in that direction. Uh, but yeah, having a, a, a coach come alongside you and saying, yes, you can do this. It's going to be okay. You're not going to lose your whole practice. You know, every, people aren't going to stop coming in, right? You, you know, and, and kind of walk you through that and encourage you through that that can be huge and it can make an incredible difference in your, in the success of your practice. Yeah. Some of the docs in the Blair community that I look up to the most and have a lot of respect for are ones that were in a full spine practice, mm. got exposed to upper cervical care and transitioned. Right. And they, they made a yep. huge leap, right. Some from, you know, insurance-based full spine therapy offices to cash upper cervical offices. I mean, you know, sometimes when, when you're convicted about something and when you really see, that it's in the best interest, you know, of you being able to serve your people and of your people getting, you know, the, the best possible results, you know, with this particular approach. Um, yeah. it's, it's not an impossible feat. And we know folks that have done it. We talked to Dr. Hillpish on this podcast and he, he described transitioning away from a full spine to upper cervical practice and has been on fire and doing that at a high level for a long time. Dr. Yep. Dennis Campbell, we talked to a few weeks ago, uh, same thing, you know, he, he had no clue about upper cervical care ended up at an ICA convention for some CE credits, got exposed to upper cervical and it changed his life, you know, and changed yeah. his practice. And now he's taught how many Blair docs, right? So things can change, right? And to your point earlier about 
that wasn't the direction that they started out heading in. It wasn't a, you know, probably on their, in their purview as far as their, you know, their career trajectory and up in chiropractic, but yeah. you know, things can change and you can make changes and they can be, you know, scary, but hugely beneficial. And, um, you know, we got all this crazy, what if, you know, catastrophizing type thinking you can get into, right. you know, when you're thinking about doing anything differently and, uh, how much of it ever really happens. Um, very, 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 very little. Well, I'm really excited to see the survey data from this past year because I yeah. know you guys were able to collect that data for 2020, right? Yeah. Which was really, really uh, interesting, you know. And I'm glad that we have that data, and you had years prior to compare. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how uh, upper cervical docs have kind of rebounded here, you know, coming through the pandemic and and some of the differences between last year and this year, um, and and heading into next year. Uh, so yeah. any thoughts on what you guys observed from 2020? Well, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting because, you know, like I said, we've been doing this for a while. And so, so the first five surveys we did all five, like, cause one of the questions we ask is, uh, are your collections more this year than they were last year? Right. So we're trying to measure uh, practice growth. Right. And so five years in a row, the majority said, uh, yes. Right. So that so we always the majority was they, they had more collections this year than last year. And typically um, uh, the, the number that was the um, uh, I, it was less than last year is usually it's always the smallest number of the of the three. Yeah. So yeah. Either, either it was the same or it's more. Right. Um, 2020 was the first time that that was different. It was the first time we didn't see. Um, more, you know, pe people had more collections from 2019 to 2020, uh, but it was still like 43%. So still had 43% of the practices in the survey grew even in the midst of 2020 and the pandemic. And so it's, it certainly is, um, it, it's something that, you know, when, when anything like that happens, what I, what I usually talk about is you, if you, you've got to pivot you've got to start thinking differently. You've got to do things differently in order to be successful in that kind of environment. And the docs that did were like, they grew and had record years, many of them. Um, but I mean, some of them that, for instance, you know, if you, if you heavily relied on spinal screenings to generate new patients and you didn't shift your mindset into a different form of marketing, you were screwed in 2020, yeah. right? Uh, or, or, or talks or, you know, any of these kinds of things that that really was driving your practice, then you were in a lot of trouble in 2020. Um, yeah. But, you know, docs that were like, okay, well, where, pe where can I still talk to people? Well, online. And they doubled down on their digital and they really focused on that. Those are the ones that I saw really take off in 2020. So, yeah. and it really, it's continued into 2021, you know, people are thinking differently now and, but uh, digital marketing is still, it's still, uh, where it's at for me when it comes to the best way to communicate with people. Yeah. No. And I think, you know, when something like that happens where, you know, nobody in their 2020 planning, you know, let's go fast, rewind two years ago about this time you're looking, projecting to 2020 and, you know, right. planning for the year and your marketing calendar and all the stuff you're putting together about this time of year. None of that was in the plans. Right. Nope. And when stuff like that happens, which is, for most of us, a once in a practicing career type situation, right? Hopefully um, that's where you really need to lean on those habits and disciplines, right? When, when it hits the fan like that, 
that's when being consistent, you know, in some of these practices and principles, the training, the systems, the mindset, the stuff that you work on all the time, man, that's really, that's when you really lean on that stuff. And I think uh, it's hard to play catch up with that type of, you know, with that type of training when you're in the midst of something that crazy. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping that a lot of us had recalibrated at that point and did what you said, which is like, okay, what I'm doing is, is not working anymore. Things are changing. We need to get our head on straight with that, get over the fact that it's not the way that it used to be and start moving forward with, you know, with another strategy here. And um, I'm I'm interested to see the data for this year and how, you know, how that's reflected in the, you know, in the um, things that you guys measure. Absolutely. And yeah, and, and, you know, we are currently doing the survey and we'd love to get you in it. If you're a practicing upper cervical chiropractor, you know, I think uh, Dr. John is going to have the link to the survey in this, in the show notes for this episode and just, you know, go on there, fill out the survey and we'll, we'll send you the results when it's done. Usually I'll do a little uh, analysis and kind of break down what, you know, what the results were and, you know, some of the insights that I, I, uh, I, I took from it. Yep. And, and uh, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, the way that data gets better and better is the more people who participate, right? Yes. The, the, the more variety of different, you know, types of practices engage with that, you know, the better we're going to be able to drill down on, you know, some of these trends. If we get, uh, you know, a certain type of practice mostly to contribute and other types of people that opt out because you know, for whatever reason, I mean, it's just not a well-rounded understanding of what's going on out there. And that, that leads into not just for Dr. Davis and their team, you know, to better serve upper cervical docs and have a better idea where we're at, but, you know, for all of us to appreciate how we're supporting each other, number one in chiropractic and upper cervical organizations, whether it's Nuka, Blair, whatever, um, you know, where we all have room for improvement. And I think the 2020 data is available right now on your blog, correct? Yeah, it is. Yeah. If you just go on there and search maybe sixth, sixth annual, or if you probably just search upper cervical practice survey, yeah, Google, I'll find it and uh, include that. it in the links yep. here. Uh, so you can get a look at what, what are we talking about here? What is exactly, you know, being looked at? The types of questions, the type of data they got. Go look, take a look at 2020. Um, you know, get your numbers in mind and in front of you and, and take that survey. I'd encourage everyone in the Blair community that's listening uh, to participate in that. You know, we want to have your, we want to have your practice represented at any level or any, you know, model that you've chosen to, to operate in. It's it's all great. It's all information. It's all data. Um, and it, it kind of helps us all orient ourselves to, you know, kind of how we're doing as a, as a profession. Um, Absolutely. Doc, I mean, so some of the students listening to these concepts, we have a lot of students that listen, you know, some of this stuff might be way over their head. I mean, we've got folks that are still learning spinal anatomy all the way through. I'm graduating soon and sure. take, taking the next step. So big spectrum there, but let's kind of focus on the latter group, the ones that are going to be transitioning into upper cervical practice here in the next year or so. Um, you know, what advice would you give for those students to make that transition uh, a little bit more seamless and a little bit more successful? I mean, the main things that, that I encourage, I mean, really wherever you are in upper cervical, uh, I mean, in, uh, in chiropractic school is make that commitment to lifelong learning early, right? You're learning so much right now. A lot of it, you may not use ever in your life again, right? But the things that you need to know about practice, start to learn those. And I mean, you you learn those through books and podcasts and blogs and all those kinds of things I mentioned, but 
one of the best things you can possibly do is start visiting chiropractic offices. Yeah. Wherever you are in, in wherever you are in chiropractic school, visit chiropractic practices. They don't have to be your perfect practice. I mean, obviously that'd be great if you could go and see a practice that you want to, you know, you want to work at, or you want to have a practice just like that. And you, you know, start developing mentorship and that type of thing. But any chiropractic practice, visit them because you're going to learn things that you like, learn things that you don't like, right? Yeah. And that's invaluable. I, I probably visited maybe a hundred practices when I was in school and right after school. And I continued to visit practice even when I was in practice because I wanted to learn from others. I wanted to continue to pick up new things and, and learn things from how other people are doing it. And that's, that's how you can really start to get a, your own vision of what your practice will look like. Yeah. And I know for, for myself as a student, kind of finding out what you don't like is really helpful. I mean, yes. sometimes the, the possibilities seem so endless. What you need to drill down on is what you definitely don't want to do. Yep. Right. And so yeah, it's a big part of that too. And, and you know, I, I think about stuff I, you know, learned from other docs in school, shadowing, even friends now that are in different types of practices. I, you know, learn, learn from other docs all the time. That's, that's great advice. And I think yeah. most docs who are passionate about chiropractic are succeeding in chiropractic. They're going to be very open to having you come supporting you wanting to see you be successful uh, and, and, you know, trying to help you make that transition a little smoother. Um, awesome. Yeah. Great, great advice. Um, now let's go kind of to the next level here. So docs zero to five years in their own practice, whether they started out of school, whether they were prior and associate and are now uh, opened and are operating in their new practice within that first five years, uh, what advice would you give? You know, in those first five years, it kind of depends on where you, where you are with your numbers and kind of, you know, what kind of uh, volume you're seeing or collections you're doing and that type of thing. Cause it, it, there really can be a huge spectrum. Yeah. But I mean, there's some docs that are in that top 20% who have been in practice less than five years. Yeah, right. Yeah. So they've figured out some things early on that it takes a lot of docs longer to, to figure out. But I'd say, you know, for the majority, you know, maybe you're in those, maybe you're in that zero, you know, in that less than 10,000 or in that 10,000 to $30,000 range, you know, a lot of what I've already been talking about, right? Apply the things that the top practices are doing, systems, training, education, you know, care plans, charging enough, all these kinds of things. Consistency. Consistency is, is probably the thing that you're lacking the most. If, hmm. I mean, if, if I didn't look, you know, if I looked at your practice numbers and I looked at, you know, the specifics of it, I could probably point out some other things, but almost in every circumstance, there's going to be some sort of a consistency issue, right? It could be consistency of, of just your communication because you don't have any systems. So you're always saying things differently, mm -hmm. right? So maybe your conversion rate is lower than it should be because you don't have any consistency in, in hitting milestones in your conversation with patients, right? Or it could be that you don't have good conversion on your phone calls with your, because you're not training your CAs enough, right? There's all kinds of things that it can be, but it's usually consistency in one shape or form. You don't have consistent systems. You don't have consistent training or you don't have consistent education where you're continually putting good stuff in your mind uh, so that you can get better and better and better. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because even just interacting with other Blair docs, it's kind of like, you know, I've noticed there's a 
somewhere around that time. And then maybe a few years beyond there's like a level of maturity that ramps up significantly with the way you handle and carry yourself in practice and your, your concepts about your business and practice and different things like that. So whether that shifts intentionally or just as a process of more experience over time, it's kind of an interesting observation, you know, that I've made recently. It's kind of made me think about, you know, how do you get to that point? You know, what are the, what are the steps that got them, you know, to take that, uh, take that turn and, and make that shift. Because if, you, if you're overwhelmed, listening to this saying, I'm in that less than 10,000 collections. And now we're talking about people doing 150,000. That's not even reality to me. I can't even wrap my head around what that looks like. You don't have to try to position yourself there. You want to position yourself where that doc was on the path to there yeah. you know, at your level, right? Because doing what they were doing on their way up is, is going to be your path on up the ladder. You can't jump to the top rung. You're going to climb to the next one, the next one, the next one. That's right. Awesome. Um, well, great, great doc. We appreciate you guys collecting that data and, and making an effort every year to do that. Um, I know it's something that you don't have to do. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tremendous gift to the upper cervical profession because we have that free data available that you guys go to the effort of collecting. So I appreciate that you're doing it. I'm going to do the best I can to get, you know, as much participation with the Blair community as possible. So we're, we're represented there. Um, and, uh, appreciate, you know, all the hard work you've done, you know, for the upper cervical chiropractic field, uh, you're, you know, you're inspiring for a few different reasons, but I think you're doing what I like to talk about all the time. Folks that listen to this podcast, hear me say it. It's like putting points on the scoreboard for chiropractic, right? Mm. You're doing things that are moving us in a direction of a better, uh, you know, better outcome for everybody. And so, uh, keep up the good work. We appreciate the heck out of you for all the, all the hard work you've already done. And I know you guys aren't slowing down or stopping anytime soon. Nope. <laughs> um, you guys, you know, constantly expanding your services and offerings. And if you guys haven't checked out upper cervical marketing, I mean, we're not, this is a lot more than Facebook ads. They've got an intensely comprehensive system, you know, with a lot of different avenues and options and, you know, ways that you can engage digitally. So it's, it's definitely worth the conversation. We appreciate you guys always uh, representing us as a, as a society and being sponsors at our conferences. You know, we love having you there and appreciate your support. Um, so if you guys haven't had a chance to talk with Tony or Dr. Bill or any of the folks at Upper Cervical Marketing, have a conversation with them. You know, you might be thinking about next year and where you want to go and, and, you know, they may be able to help you take that next step. So it's definitely worth it, worth the conversation Um, and get the book. I'm going to put the links for that too. Uh, A lot of the stuff we're talking about here is the granular details of how to implement a lot of these principles are it's there, it's in the book. Um, So you can get that thing and, uh, you know, start to employ, you know, any or a million of the different strategies in place there. So um, you can tell I'm a fan. I appreciate you, doc. And uh, any last words of encouragement you'd like to share with our Blair community before we wrap up for today? You know, I think the, the last thing I'd like to share, wherever you are in, in practice, um, number one, you know, you're doing incredible work. I mean, it's, it's so in, important, the work that you're doing. It's so valuable. I would see in my, my upper cervical doctor yesterday, and I just, you know, just seeing everybody coming in and out of there and just, you know, just so blessed by that to see, you know, that he's busy, that he's serving people and that he's making a big impact, not just on me and my family, but uh, our entire community. And it's just, you know, don't ever forget that you're, you're doing that number one. And then number two is just 
guard yourself against complacency. And one of the best ways you can guard yourself against complacency is to consistently be learning. Because when new information comes in, it will, it will you know, connect with what you already know, and it will give you new ideas, new energy, and can continue to move you in a direction. The, the one thing, too, though, that is, is you, know, you may have heard it said, information without implementation leads to frustration, right? And that's 100% right. So just because you're learning things, you need to apply it and implement it and execute on those things. And then that's where you're gonna start to see the needle move. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and check the show notes for links to our hosts, guests, and other relevant information. And head on over to www.blairchiropractic.com to find out more about Blair Upper Cervical Chiropractic or to find a doctor close to you. If you're a chiropractor or healthcare provider, you'll want to look at www.blairtechnique.com for information on upcoming events, professional development resources, and some very useful online training modules. You can also find a link to make a charitable donation, which is greatly needed to advance research. Until next time, be well.